Happy Easter, everyone. Christ is risen. Why don't you stand with me and let's hear these words from the Apostle Paul who speaks about this truth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So here it is. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory through a risen Christ. We are completely dependent on a risen Christ, and it is in his name and by his Spirit that we sing. So let's acknowledge our need. Uh, this morning, uh, in each of our services, we have a, a piece of our liturgy called the Lament, where we do stop and pause and we ask um, questions of the ache and the struggles and the pain of the world. And often it's through songs, sometimes it's through art or literature or a poem or a picture. This morning, our Lament is the song called Me, Myself, and I by B.B. Rexa and G. Easy. And um, it's really, really awesome and important. The reason that this song fits what we're doing this morning is this. The idea of this song is that you and I, if we effort hard enough, if we work hard enough, gather hard enough uh, stuff that we need, if we buy enough stuff, if we create enough security, then life will be satisfied and content. But that is a myth. That is a myth that we can be dependent on me, myself, and I. The only comfort in this life is that we wholly belong to Jesus Christ in life and in death. And so we're going to juxtapose the ache of the world with the hope of the resurrection. And in a few minutes after the song, Wes is going to come up and finish a series on listening. And so uh, as we're listening to the letters to the churches in Revelation, and so from, from uh, the Apostle John. And so I want us to listen to the song, and I want us to find, and I want us to see the ache. I want us to see the myth. And I want us to be open in our hearts and our ears and our souls to an answer that is bigger and greater and more than us and that. And that is that there is a resurrected Jesus. There's a resurrected God who is king and friend and longs to be in relationship with us and longs to bring hope to the ache. It is Easter. Happy Easter. May we find hope this morning. It's just me, myself, and I So alright until I die Cause I got me for life song. And it's a catchy philosophy of life as well, Uh, especially, I think, in this country, right? Rugged individualism, self-reliance, independence. These things are as American as baseball and apple pie. One definition of independence is this. says, the ability to live our life without being helped or influenced 
by other people, to, to depend on nothing. I grew up reading the Western novels of Louis L'Amour. Anyone want to be brave enough to admit that with me? <laughs> okay, a couple of you guys. Uh, I was into horses and ranches and all the rest as a, as a teenager, and I love these stories. And I think partly why I love them so much is because of this hero, this rugged individual who could do anything. He was self-educated, he could solve all of his own problems, he could find his way out of, uh, uh, out of anything, he could, he could uh, hunt down the villains by himself, he could get the girl, you know, all the things. And I think these novels fed my imagination and really drove my desire to be independent. And I think that most of us as Americans have bought into the narrative of independence, that this is our goal. Like, we acknowledge that, okay, we're born completely dependent. We can acknowledge that. We know that a lot of us will return to dependence in some ways when we get older, but that the goal in the middle is independence, which in a lot of ways is the American dream, I think. Independence from our parents. Independence to make our own decisions. Uh, Intellectual independence emotional independence, financial independence, vocational independence, maybe even spiritual independence. Me, myself, and I. You know you want to sing it. Oh, it's just me, myself, and I. Solo ride until I die. Because I got me for life. Come on, you know you want to. Oh, okay, I won't. It's catchy, but... Honestly, it's super misleading, super misleading, because what happens when you seek to develop a real friendship, and that friendship requires that you depend on the other person? What happens when some of us get married and we take vows that say, I will depend on you, I will submit my life to you? What happens when you have to depend on family or neighbors or a counselor or a coworker or others who want to come alongside you and help your life to flourish? What happens when you encounter a risen Christ who says to you by his spirit, depend on me, submit your life to me, and I will give you everything that you need? As it turns out, this story of independence is a lie because dependence is the beginning. Dependence is the end of our life, and it's everything in the middle. Full life and freedom are only found when we embrace our true dependence, our dependence on God, our dependence on other people, our dependence just on this life that we live in. Dependence is what leads us to true victory, true life, true peace. And that's the big idea that we're going to see in this text in Revelation 3 that we're looking at this morning. Kind of a surprising text for an Easter morning. God gave it to me. I didn't necessarily choose this text for Easter morning, but I'm surprised it's beautifully fitting. I hope you see that this morning. It's, uh, it's a beautiful message. It's a hard message. It's, a, it's an affirming message. One of the ways it fits really beautifully with Easter morning is because of the one who's speaking through this text, to us. Not just to a church 2,000 years ago, but to you and to me, to this church. Because the person who spoke to the Apostle John in a vision is the same person who continues to speak 
by his Spirit, and that person is the risen Christ who is among us. Jesus spoke the wisdom of God during his lifetime. Jesus continues to speak through his Spirit even now. This is the expectation as we hear from him this morning. The one who rose from the grave, the one who sits on the right hand of the Father, is speaking, and he wants us to listen. And the beginning of our text for today reminds us of this. This is uh, Revelation chapter 3. It's starting in verse 14. And the text says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation, saying the risen Jesus is the amen, the one who is true and the one who brings things to completion. The risen Jesus is the faithful and true witness, the one who fully reveals who God is. The risen Jesus is the ruler or firstborn of God's creation, not only with God in the beginning creating the world, but sustaining the world even now, bringing to bear a new creation and a new kingdom in this world and in our lives. This is the one who spoke to John, to the church then, and this is the one who speaks by his Spirit now, the risen Jesus. So whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says, the Spirit of the risen Jesus. Now, throughout this listen series. We've been listening in particular for for three things. Three things in each of these letters that seem to occur that the Spirit is saying. We're we're listening for affirmation. How is the Spirit affirming us, booing us up, supporting us? Then how is the Spirit confronting us or challenging us or trying to move us to greater transformation? And then what word is the Spirit telling us in terms of where we're going, this glorious promise of the future? So this morning we get to listen to those things through this last letter to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3. Laodicea was a a, a big city like all these cities were. It was a a banking city. It was a a trading city, a textile city. A lot of the people in the church of Laodicea were were wealthy. They were bankers. They were uh, business people. They were traders. It was a prosperous city and it was a prosperous church. And this is the church to which God is speaking, Jesus is speaking, and in their prosperity, it seems like they had bought into this narrative of independence. And so the first thing in this letter is not going to be affirmation, it's going to be confrontation. And we see that in verses 15 to 17. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I think the part about being lukewarm is maybe relatively well known. Unfortunately, it's also often misinterpreted because often we hear that and say, okay, so the Spirit's trying to say that God would rather have us be on fire for him or be opposed to him or care less, to him, less about him rather than this, this apathetic middle ground. But that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because nowhere else in Scripture does God want people to be cold toward him. God always wants people to be on fire for him, to have spiritual vitality, to have spiritual concern. So what's a better way of interpreting this then? And I think context here really matters. And the context is that Laodicea had a bit of a water issue that we have to understand. 
and the water issue was that they had bad water. Okay, so there, there was a hot springs in Heropolis. It had this healing medicinal effect. And there was really nice, cold, refreshing water in nearby Colossae. But because Laodicea was on a trade route, it sacrificed good water. Any water that the city had had to be piped in from elsewhere. And by the time it got to the city, it was, it was tepid, it was kind of gross, and, and potentially contaminated. So I want you to imagine something. It's not going to be hard to imagine on a beautiful day like this. It's a beautiful spring day, and you want to relax out in the sun. So you get in a, in a nice chair. Maybe your kids are off somewhere far, far away. <laughs> Just makes us wonderful to imagine. And, and you have a cold, refreshing beverage with you. No, we love our children. I'm just saying, you're relaxing. Um, and you're so relaxed that you, you immediately doze off. And uh, you don't realize how long you've been sleeping there. Maybe it's 30, 40 minutes, and you, and you pick up your drink, and you expect it to be this cold, refreshing drink. You take a sip, and there's a bug in it, and it's nasty. And, and you don't swallow it like I just did. You spit it out, right? Right, because you thought the drink was supposed to be cold, but it's lukewarm. And, and the same thing if the drink is supposed to be hot. I mean, there's nothing worse than a tepid cup of coffee. Are you with me? It's nasty, right? So whether it's supposed to be cold or it's supposed to be hot, it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's tepid. It's nasty. I just swallowed a bug, and, and I want to spit this out of my mouth. This is the metaphor that... The risen Jesus is getting at for the church in Laodicea and for us. And the metaphor is, you're supposed to be a force for healing and refreshment in your city. This is the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be cold. You're supposed to be hot. But in reality, your witness and your impact is is tepid at best. Because you know why? You're piping in your vitality from elsewhere. You're not getting your, your vitality from the living water of Christ and his spirit. You're trying to get it from elsewhere and it's not working. It's gross, and it's potentially contaminated. And then let me tell you why. The confrontation gets more specific in the first part of verse 17. Look at this. He says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. Ooh, it's just me, myself, and I. There it is again. It's, it's the narrative of independence. I am independent, and I like it that way. Financial independence, because I'm wealthy. Political, social independence, because I have power. Spiritual independence, because I've got wisdom. I don't need a thing. Good. And there's something about prosperity and privilege that makes us really prone to this myth of independence. And then there's a connection between America being one of the most prosperous nations on earth and why this narrative is rampant in our country. It fills our, our popular culture and our imaginations and, and, our, and our own lives. But Jesus, by his Spirit, wants us to realize it's not the true story. There is a, a truer story. There is a better story. There is a more beautiful story. And it doesn't seem like that at first because uh, it begins to, to emerge in the last half of verse 17. We have to grapple with this fact that you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. In other words, you think you're independent, but just stop for a second and realize how needy you are. Just stop 
and realize that the true story is that you're completely and utterly dependent. And before you try to explain that away in your own brain, because that's where my brain goes, just think for a second of some of the most basic ways that we are dependent on things and other people in everyday life. Like, you're dependent on your parents for being here. You, you are dependent on your parents for existing. You are dependent on this oxygen for surviving. You're dependent on, on the water you're drinking to keep your body functioning. You're, you're dependent on others for basic things like food and shelter and health care. You're dependent on other people for relationships that make your life meaningful. Basic things, right, that reveal our dependence. I tell you what, there is nothing like being sick that <laughs> makes you realize how utterly dependent you are as a human being. I, I came down with a stomach bug on Thursday, uh, coming back from the mountains. It was horrible. Um, like the 24 hours after that were a blur. Um, I do remember basic things like Steph had to finish driving us home. It felt like an eternity because uh, of the nausea, not because Steph was driving. Um, it was, yeah, I got home. I, I somehow got in the house, somehow crawled into bed. Somehow, when I needed it, cold water and cloths and kombucha and crackers appeared, you know, um, and, and I got better. But utterly dependent in that moment, utterly needy. And it's a beautiful thing in that moment to recognize someone's taking care of me. Um, I need that. We all need that, right? When we're sick, we feel this need just to be cared for and to be grateful for that. And I think what's obvious during a, a bad bout of sickness like that is true all the time. We just live according to this other myth that I got this. It's me, myself, and I. I don't need anybody. Whereas in reality, life is just one big web of depending on each other and other things. And I've been reading uh, Sam Wells' new book called Walk Humbly. And the whole basis of, of this new book is that our, our humility and our gratitude emerges when we realize how dependent we are. And he has some beautiful reflections. He writes uh, this toward the beginning. He says, all the things we thought were ours, our achievements, rights, possessions, entitlements, fallbacks, supports, were never really ours after all. Our breath was not ours, but was made up of air we didn't make that came from outside us and was breathed by lungs we didn't construct and fleshed by food we didn't direct, processed by a stomach we couldn't control. Our consciousness was not ours, but was our awareness of our existence, whose beginnings we didn't prompt and whose joint continuation we can never make permanent. Our body was not ours. We didn't form it in our mother's womb. We didn't birth it. We didn't create its DNA. We cannot produce its identical replica. We cannot withstand its inescapable demise. We cannot preserve one tiny atom of it to take with us wherever we're headed. And that's just physical reality, right? If, if we're that physically dependent on the world and other people, then how much more so are we entirely spiritually dependent on a God who even created all of this world? And so we come back to this big idea that dependence is what leads us to true spiritual vitality and victory. Faith is a spiritual posture that says, I am utterly needy and dependent. I am poor, naked, blind, 
and I need God to give me spiritual honor and riches and insight. And the good news is that the moment we recognize our dependence, the moment we believe that story instead, God becomes an extravagant giver. That's what we see in the text. Look, verse 18, I counsel you, buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. They're all metaphors for spiritual wealth and, and beauty and provision and insight, all of which are gifts of God by his grace, free gifts. And the affirmation then in this text is just the flip side of the confrontation. The confrontation was, wake up. You're not as independent as you think you are. You are utterly dependent. And the affirmation is good news. You're dependent because that means God gets to give you everything that you need. And he does it. You're totally dependent. So embrace that and allow God to meet you there. You might call this the gospel of dependence. I think that the the good news that Americans are trying to live is the gospel of independence. And so this is the opposite, that, that we are weak, but God is strong. That we are needy, but God wants to give us, in that need, all of his gifts. That we are spiritually dead, but Jesus, the risen Jesus, offers us resurrection. That we are fools, but the Spirit makes us wise. And those can be hard words to hear if we're, if we're saturated in, in the other story. But receiving them is what makes true resurrection life truly possible. And it's about coming to terms with that reality. And, and that explains the next verse, verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline, so be earnest and repent. Well, repent basically means recognize that you're living in this story that's false and turn from that story and live within the true story. In this case, it's recognized that we've been living according to the story of independence. Reject that. Turn over here and embrace the story of dependence on a risen Christ by his Spirit. And that will usher you into real relationship. Repentance frees you to be grateful for the relationships in your life, including God, but others as well. Uh, Sam Wells again writes in his book, gratitude is the moment we turn from seeing dependence as a burden and begin to see it as a gift. So gratitude is the window we are given into how dependence creates relationship. And the primary relationship it creates, spiritually speaking, is our relationship with the risen Jesus. That's described in verse 20. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So what does it take to open the door? I need you in my life. I want you to come in. I am dependent. I need you. I need you to feast with me. I need you. You open the door for Jesus and real life and real feasting begins at that moment, which is the other beautiful Easter Sunday connection because Jesus is alive and he wants to be in relationship with us in the present, right? Not just in the future. The future, when Jesus returns, our, our dead body is resurrected to be with him. That is our hope. That is a, a beautiful end of the story. But right now, Jesus is also alive, seeking this relationship with us. If we would acknowledge our need, open that door, and gratefully receive 
this life of, de- of joyful dependence on a risen Savior. And that leads to the promise then. For those who open the door to Jesus, the beautiful promise there in verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the promise is that those who depend on the risen Jesus will be victorious, just as Jesus was. Victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over the, the, the evil forces of the world that we've even been lamenting this morning. This is, this is the promise. Just as Jesus rose from the dead victorious, so we who depend on him will also rise victorious. Now, victorious to new life, and in the future, victorious to a new heavens and new earth and new bodies, and new lives. In the call to worship today, I read from a part of that famous resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, it lays out the, the gospel of a crucified and risen Jesus in whom we believe, in whom we have hope, in whom we are saved. Uh, but I find it uh, so practical and fascinating how at the very end of this famous resurrection chapter, there's two little commands that Paul gives us. Like, okay, all this is true, so here's what you need to do as a result. And uh, first, he, he reiterates the, the victory promise, like we saw in Revelation 3. Thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All those who depend on Christ, it's yours. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So two things. One, stand firm. But if you read the whole chapter, you'll know, not in your own strength, on the strength of a risen Christ, by his Spirit, stand firm. Hold to that. Become more dependent. And out of that dependence, work for the Lord. Uh, could paraphrase that. Practice resurrection. Don't just believe resurrection. Practice resurrection. Live out gospel dependence by doing things that really don't compute within any other story. Live in such a way that shows resurrection, the beauty of resurrection. Practice it. Um, One of my favorite writers, Wendell Berry, has this poem about, really about exactly this this thing of of practicing resurrection and the power of the Spirit. And I want to leave you with this before we sing. Uh, because I think it, it gives even more images and metaphors for what we're, what the risen Jesus is calling us to. Uh, it's called Manifesto, Mad Farmer Liberation Front. And uh, I love this poem because it contrasts this life of striving for independence. This isn't the full poem here. Um, the first part is about striving for independence and it not working, but then joyfully embracing dependence and practicing resurrection. So he says, Friends, Every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant 
that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that profit. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of hummus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to the carrion. Put your ear close. Hear the, the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. Practice resurrection. So, risen Jesus, we depend on you with everything we are, our breath, our life, our hope, our faith. We need you. We need you more than anything. And in our dependence, we joyfully and gratefully recognize you're giving us everything that we need. You are Eastering us. You are giving us the resurrection life, the new creation life that is a sign of what's to come when all things will be renewed. All things will be made new. So Spirit, empower us to practice that right now in our choices, in our attitudes, in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our relationships, whatever it is, God. May we be a people who live according to this gospel and practice your resurrection life. And you are way more dependent on him than you thought coming into the room. And rejoice knowing that the Spirit has given you power to live this resurrection life. You are a resurrection people. You are a free people. And that's not something you could do. You're entirely dependent on resurrection because of the Father's work by the Spirit through Christ. Thanks for listening to the Warehouse 242 podcast. If you have any questions or want to find out more about Warehouse, visit warehouse242.org or come join us on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m at 2307 Wilkinson Boulevard in Charlotte. Thanks for listening.